What's up, Brooklyn? Man, what a blessing it is. Is my thing on? Am I good? What a blessing it is to be in Brooklyn. I'm so excited. I, I love, <laughs> we, we said this morning, I, I love New York. I really love New York to visit. Like, it's a great, like, I, lo- I love visiting New York. I'm getting on that train this afternoon. Like, it's like, I have this fear. I have this, I have this, it's, it's a phobia. Um, now, a phobia is an, is an irrational fear. I think this one's rational. I have this phobia of, of looking like an outsider in New York. Pastor B was like, yeah, when you, uh, Gabe, Gabe was like, yeah, when you, um, when you just get off the train, you can just hop on the A and come to Brooklyn. And I'm like, with luggage? <laughs> Let me call this Uber right quick. <laughs> I'm so grateful to be here. I'm so grateful to hang out with y'all. Can we pray? Grab somebody saying close to you. Tell them I'm glad you made it to church this morning. Say thank you for sitting next to me. <clears throat> I was nervous. Who's going to sit next to me at church? I'm glad it was you. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for bringing us together as the body of believers. We don't overlook the power, the, the, the importance of the community of faith. Our, our walks with you, God, are, are personal, but they can never be private. And so, Lord, we thank you that you have created a church like this right here in Brooklyn that that we can connect with you and connect with your people, Lord. We will not decapitate you. We will not separate the head from the body. We recognize, God, how important it is to be connected to the body of believers. And so, Lord, I thank you for this person, not just for the fact that I'm in church, but I'm in church next to this person next to me. And so, Lord, before I pray for me, Lord, I pray for them. I don't know what they're going through. I don't know what's on their minds or on their hearts. I don't know what their issues might be, God, but I know that you are a big God that's bigger than whatever they're going through, Lord. So I pray that you would encourage their hearts today. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them from your word. I thank you for the the benefit of worship and giving and fellowship, Lord. But now, Lord, we, we break open your word, Lord, because we need a feast. We need a word from you. And so, Lord, we sit attentively with the expectation, God, that you're going to speak to us clearly. And then we're going to receive what you have to say to us. We're going to apply it to our lives. Lord, we want to live walking with you. We want to live in your will and in your power, and you allow us the gift of the church that we might do so. Bless us, God, as we go to your word. I bless my neighbor and bless this church. We thank you, God. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Tell a neighbor, thank you for praying for me. I needed that. Well, y'all, I am so excited, so grateful to be here. Um, Pastor B said he social media stalks us. We social media stalk y'all as well. I knew all of y'all greeters from Instagram before I even got here. (laughs) I knew who the 930 team was, the 1130 team. I, I, I love what the Lord is doing at this church. I am so excited. I cannot, do y'all know y'all are only three years old? Like three-year-old churches ain't supposed to be doing what y'all doing. Do you know this? You know how blessed you are. You know how blessed you are to be a part of this church. I believe in what God is doing. I heard that you guys just did a a building fund, fundraiser, capital campaign, something like that. Um, I I see what God is doing here at Epiphany, and I believe so much in it that I would love to sow. I want to sow. Now, I I know this is a young church, and y'all don't write checks, but I got a check. Is there there somebody... (laughs) Who can take a check? Okay, you got, yes, Lord, yes. All right. I, I got a multi-generational church. I, I got confused. Wasn't no baskets passed. I'm like, what they do the offering? Like, everybody here get online. Everybody here get online. 
<laughs> no, I am so excited. I see what the Lord is doing. I see the Lord packing this place out. I see the Lord giving you a, a greater facility so that you can do greater ministry. And I can't wait to come back and see what the Lord does when he does that and then when he does the next thing. We, we've seen him move mountains. And I just believe I will see him do it again. Yeah, yeah. Um, Pastor Brandon told you guys about my books. Uh, there's, uh, I want to tell you about a couple of them real quick. Um, Saving Our Sons is my doctoral dissertation, actually. We condensed it and we put it in a, um, in a book form uh, because uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to investigate what is it about the church, why, why the church is behind at engaging our young men. And, and I, I grew up in church. I'm, I'm a church kid. And, and as a young man myself, I got sick of the church blaming us. Oh, they won't be involved. Oh, they won't commit. Oh, they won't be faithful or consistent. I, I didn't believe that because all I had to do was go outside my house and down the street and see that the neighborhood gangs didn't have no problem engaging the young men. Go to a college campus and I, I, you can see that the fraternities had no problem engaging young men of color. Go uh, look up the statistics and you'll see that the nation of Islam doesn't have any problem engaging young men of color. And so, um, and so I'm meddlesome. So I asked, what is it that they're doing that we're not doing? You know what I found? Four biblical principles straight from Jesus's ministry, straight from the ministry of the Old Testament saints, straight from the ministry of the New Testament apostles, things straight from the Bible that I believe somewhere along the lines we dropped and the world picked up and started doing better than us what God called us to do engaging effectively our young brother. So I wrote this book. I wrote this book for ministry leaders, for pastors, for mentors, for parents who got a young man in your house that you like three seconds from choking um, <laughs> so that we can understand what engages young brothers and so that we can utilize these principles for the benefit of the kingdom of God. And so that's what Saving Our Sons is about. Move Like a King is a follow-up to Saving Our Sons that's, speci that's specifically for the young brothers. It's, not, it's, it's, less, it's less philosophy and more, um, uh, it's more um, just practical. It's, it's, it's uh, more devotionally, it reads more devotionally. And then I wrote a book called Are You Afraid of Heights? Are You Afraid of Heights is an inspirational book. Um, I wrote that book because uh, as Christians, we, we always pray stuff like, Lord, take me higher. Take me to the next level. Take me to higher heights, especially around New, like New Year's. We, we come to church and we, and we, and we, like, we pray in the Lord, this, this year going to be the year that God take me higher. What I've learned is we pray such things, but then we, many of us suffer from what I call spiritual acrophobia. We, we want to go to higher heights, but we're scared. We're not willing to do what it takes to exist at, at those higher heights. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a tourist, so, so y'all know this, but I learned it, that, um, that if you go to the National Park Service to investigate going to the Statue of Liberty, um, the, the National Park Service lists several requirements that are necessary if you're going to visit the Statue of Liberty and go up into the crown. If you're, if you're going to go up there, you got you to gotta know what's up. And so they list, like, you, you can't have um, cardio, car, uh, cardiovascular issues, no issues with your heart. Uh, you, you can't have, suffer from vertigo because this, it's a wine staircase to go up. Uh, you you got to be fit and you got to be ready because there's no elevator in the Statue of Liberty. If you want to go to the to the top of the statue, now it's beautiful, man. When you look out this way, you see uh, God's creation. You look out that way, you see man's creation. The skyline of New York City is gorgeous. But if you want to go up there and experience that amazing view, you got to be ready for the climb. And the same is true of us, that, that God wants to take us to higher heights, but man, you, you got to be ready for the climb. 
And so that's what that book is about. And the reason why I tell you about it is because if you like free stuff, I want to give that book to you for free. Can I give that book to you for free? Okay, here's how we do it. If you're an ebook reader, you like ebooks and you got your Kindle or your iPad, however, you can go to my website. My website is drbmanning.com, drbmanning.com. Just scroll on that front page and there'll be a place where you can just put your information in, just your first name and your email, and you'll get an email link to download that book, whether you want it on your iBooks or whether you want it on your Kindle. You just download it straight to your device and that book is for free. Now, if you like to smell the pages and you need the actual book, you got to buy the book. I'm sorry. But if, <laughs> but if you would like to have that book for free, you can have it um, if you just go to the site and get that download link. Amen? Amen. I'm so glad my wife is here. My wife, Lavera, is hanging out with us today. She, I, don't, I don't know if it's God's grace or God's pity that he gave me such an incredible woman. I, I'm, not, I'm not asking no questions, though. I'm just grateful. I'm just grateful. <laughs> I'm grateful for your pastor. He's, he's a friend, but not only is he a friend, he's an amazing man of God, isn't he? Aren't, aren't you blessed? We're blessed by his ministry. Appreciate you, brother. We love you. We're grateful for you. Make sure that y'all let y'all pastor know how much you love him, how much you appreciate him. And as, as somebody who married up, I know that next to this great man is also an incredible woman. Lady Ty, we celebrate you. Yeah. I believe the Bible, and because I believe the Bible, I believe that those who, who labor, for our, labor for our souls are worthy of double honor, and we should honor our pastors, our leaders. Amen? Amen. Grab your Bibles, y'all. We're going to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. We'll pick up reading in verse 1. Kind of a long passage, but rock with me for a second as we try to get through verse 22. Picking up at verse 1, we're going to go all the way to verse 22. I know somebody was like, we're not in Romans today? No, not, not today. Next week. Next week. <laughs> Put that little ribbon in your Bible on, in Romans and go to Job right quick. Job chapter 1, picking up at verse 1. It says, there was a man in the country of Uz named Job. He was a man of perfect integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, a very large number of servants. Couldn't even count them. Job was the greatest among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns having banquets in their homes. There was a party family. They they would send an invitation to their three sisters and to eat and drink with them. Whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job would send for his children and purify them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. For Job thought, perhaps my children sinned, having cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice, scene shift. One day, the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them. And the Lord asked Satan, where are you coming from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered him, walking around on it. You kick me down here. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him. A man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? 
Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household and everything he owns? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns and he'll surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord told Satan, everything he owns is in your power. However, you must not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan left the Lord's presence. Scene shift. One day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and reported, while the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabians swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported a lightning storm struck from heaven. It burned up the sheep and the servants and devoured them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. That messenger was still speaking. Yet another came and reported the the Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them away. They struck down the servants with a sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people. So they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job stood up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. He fell to the ground and worshiped, saying, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I leave this life. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Praise the name of Yahweh. Throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. Today, I'm going to put a title on this and this little message and call it, When Keeping It Real Goes Wrong. When Keeping It Real Goes Wrong. Uh, I, I know we in church, so half of y'all going to act like y'all never watched Dave Chappelle, but there's... <laughs> I'm just, so just going to pretend like y'all never seen um, a few uh, A decade ago or so, Dave Chappelle had his own show on Comedy Central. I'm not telling you to go watch it. I'm just telling you that it happened, and just in case you saw it, uh, there was a skit in the show called When Keeping It Real Goes Wrong. Uh, y'all don't know it, so let me tell you. Um, it's, <laughs> it's about when people uh, keep it real. Uh, they, they decide that, that they're going to take this thing all the way to its zenith. They, uh, they, they're not, they're not going to let anything slide. They're going to go all the way. And the show gives the, the repercussions of when you take things a little too seriously and the consequences that come along when keeping it real goes wrong. Uh, uh, they, when, 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 you, when you're going all out. And you're super serious about it. There's always something that might come back upon you. Uh, uh, the reason why I call it that and the reason why we're, we're examining the book of Job today is that there might be some time for somebody in here. There's likely for, for somebody in here uh, the, the reality uh, that when you start walking with Jesus, 
And when you start connecting with who he is, and when you start going to church and going to church faithfully and participating in discipleship, uh, sometimes when you go all out for Jesus, keeping it real might go, have you ever done the right thing and got painful results? You started going to church and you thought going to church, everything was going to start working out and then things didn't work out the way that you planned. You started praying and you thought that God was going to answer all your prayers in the affirmative, but it didn't happen the way you thought. You started tithing because you believed the principles of the scriptures, but then, and, and you thought uh, because you saw a TV preacher that because you started tithing that God was just going to immediately, you know, drop a bunch of bank in your, in, in, in your pockets. And, 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 and you started doing the right thing. You started going all out. Even other people looked at you like, it's not that serious. You, you go to church every, I mean, we go on the brunch, you missing brunch and everything. Your church don't got an earlier service than that. <laughs> and so other people are looking around you like, man, you, 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 you going too far. Have you started doing the right thing, but then got frustrated with life? Frustrated with yourself? Frustrated with God? Because sometimes keeping it real goes wrong. In this passage, you, you see it happening with Job. Uh, if, if the book of Job doesn't teach us anything else, it teaches us uh, that, uh, that just because you walk with Jesus and just because you are a person of integrity, it does not mean that you will not go through difficulty. It does not mean that everything is going to go great, that, that everything is going to be peaches and cream. It, it, if you walk with Jesus, it does not mean that God's going to make everything, is, everything coast in your life. No, sometimes keeping it real goes wrong. And so Satan um, has an accusation. God calls a, a meeting with the angels. Satan shows up and God says, what are you doing here? Satan says, okay, I, I, I've, been, I've been doing my job since you kicked me out of here. I got some stuff to do. I, I want to see if I can have anyone else join me in my misery. Um, and God does something that at, at first I, I was like, wait a minute, God, this, y'all see how God threw Job under the bus? Satan is like, I'm looking for somebody. And God is like, well, have you considered Job? I, got, like, I was mad at that at first. Like, I was like, I don't, know, I don't know if I like this, God, that you recommending me like this. I, I, didn't ask, I didn't ask for this letter of recommendation. I didn't ask for this one. And then I thought about it, though, y'all. I thought about it. I thought about it like this. If God is walking around heaven, peering over its balcony, looking for somebody to brag about, I would rather that be me. God, if you bragging about anybody, if you bragging to the angels about anybody, if you tapping Gabriel and saying, hey, 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 come here. Look at that. Look at that. Look at, look at, look at that. I want that to be me. And sometimes with that comes the reality that Satan hates you. As soon as you start walking with Jesus, as soon as you start making decisions to walk with, as soon as you started, as soon as you decided, I'm going to show up the covenant community. I'm, I'm going to join this church. I'm going to start serving and I'm going to start giving and I'm going to start being faithful to the body of believers. You made an enemy for yourself because Satan hates Jesus and everything that looks like him. So, yes, you will walk into the crosshairs of the enemy. And, this, and, and watch this. Satan has a, a, an assumption and an accusation in this passage. His accusation is that Job only serves God because God blesses him. Surely he, he, he serves you 
Surely he's blameless and upright. You've blessed him. You placed a hedge of protection around him. That's the, the accusation about Job. That he only serves you because you bless him. But then there's a, an assumption. The assumption is God is only worthy of worship if he buys it from you. And my encouragement to you today, sermon in a sentence, if you're writing, looking for something to write down, write this down, that when keeping it real goes wrong, prove Satan wrong. When, when keeping it real goes wrong, prove Satan wrong. He has an accusation that you only serve God because God blessed you, because you got the nice, uh, the nice apartment in, in Brooklyn and, 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 and you looking fresh and fly and God's blessed you. He, he, you only go in a, you know, they only go in a church because you blessed them. The assumption is that God is only worthy of worship if he buys it. And I want to encourage somebody here today. Maybe there's somebody here who everything's not going well. Everything is not going good. Uh, you, you came to church not because you blessed, but because you're struggling and you needed a word. You, need, you needed some encouragement. You, you needed to be able to face tomorrow. So, so you're here because you're, you're, you're asking God, God, what is my next step from here? Because I'm going through such difficulty. You may be asking God, why me? And I need you to understand before we proceed that it's not that God hates you um, or it's not that God has forgotten about you. It's not that God is punishing you. I need you to understand this before we proceed. That this is so important that, that, that God is not passing out whoopings no more. Y'all, y'all know the difference between a whooping and a spanking? Do I need to explain that in Brooklyn? So, some, somebody, I, I know we in the city, but somebody here from, south, from down south that had to go and pick their own switch. Okay. All right. Praise God. Okay. I ain't by myself. <laughs> Y'all know th- th- there's a difference between a whooping and a spanking. A, sp- a spanking is corrective. A whooping is punitive. <laughs> and I need you to understand this theologically, y'all, that God has emptied the cup of his wrath on Jesus Christ already. So, so when we go through difficulties, let me just rest your heart at ease. It's not because God is mad at you and he's punishing you. It's, it might be that he's spanking you. He might be correcting you because whom the, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Um, but God is not passing out whoopings anymore because he gave the last eternal whooping to Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus has already taken your punishment. And so God's not, I know you're going through difficulty. It doesn't mean that God is punishing you. It might mean that you are the perfect candidate for God to use to prove Satan wrong and to receive glory even through your difficulty. And so how can we prove Satan wrong? How can we prove Satan wrong? I got a couple of principles. Job shows us a couple of principles that we can take home with us. If you're going through difficulty, if keeping it real has gone wrong for you. It's a couple of principles that we can learn from Job's example. The first principle I want you to grab um, is to expect problems. Expect problems. Verses 13 through 19 outline problems coming to Job from all different directions. I mean, come on. It, uh, the, the, this, the, the last messenger can't even finish by the time the next messenger comes. They, the, 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 the first messenger uh, says, that, uh, says, look, here's what's going on. We, we, we got some, your, 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 your oxen and your donkeys were graving. The Sabians came and stole them. It's only me left, and I just came to tell you. Then while he was still speaking, the uh, lightning came, and the sheep uh, burned up the sheep and the servants. And, and I was the only one. How you escaped? How, how did you get away? You was the only one. And then, and then 
then the, the third messenger came, and the Chaldeans formed three bands and, and took all the camels, and, and I'm only I came. How did, how did you escape the Chaldeans? Uh, These are weird questions. Um, and then after that, the, the, the wind came and knocked the house over on the kids. Only, so, so Job is left only with his wife and the four people that got bad news. Anybody ever felt like that? Like the only people in my life are people who are bringing me bad news. The uh, only people in my life are people that, that, that got something to say that didn't help. You couldn't fight nobody while you. I need some people that in my life that could fight. Anybody, anybody saved and got hands at the same time? I need them kind of people in my life. Like you, I'm saved, but you can catch these holy hands. Look at somebody, say, expect problems, expect problems. Problems will happen in our lives. Jesus said it this way, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. You can have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. This is how Jesus is explaining that, that seriously, you will have trouble. You can expect that there might be problems. Yeah, yeah I know somebody, your, your life feels like that whack-a-mole game at Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, y'all don't have small kids, so y'all don't know about the whack-a-mole game at Chuck E. Cheese. It's a game they give you a mallet, and you, you, you take the mallet, and you hit the, hit the mold down. Uh, and then as soon as you hit that mold down, one pops up over there, so you're hitting that one over there. And as soon as you hit that one over there, one pop up over there, so you hit that one over there. As soon as you hit that one over there, two of them pop up over here. And as soon as you hit those two down, there's another one that you thought you hit five seconds ago. You got to hit. I thought I already dealt with that. Anybody's life feel like the whack-a-mole game? If it's not one thing, it's another. If it's not the Sabians, it's the Chaldeans. If it's not the Chaldeans, it's the doggone wind. If it's not the wind, I got fire coming from heaven. Did you, did you notice that the, that the dude that, that, that reported about the fire didn't say the fire came from the sky? He said the fire came from heaven. Because isn't that what we do when we can't blame anybody else for our problems? We blame God because it must be God who did this. I need to encourage somebody that just because you need somebody to blame for your problems doesn't mean it was God. And so we got to expect that there might be problems. <laughs> um, I, I was telling Pastor, uh, Pastor Brandon, I, I, I love watching the Summer Olympics. The Summer Olympics, every, every time they come around, I'm parked in front of my television because the Summer Olympics are all my favorite sports. And, and I love, my favorite is the track and field. I love all of the track and field. Anybody with me? Okay, roll with me. And so, and so I love watching the track and field. And one of the things I learned, I'm not a, I'm not a track runner, but I know enough to, to recognize um, that, uh, that everybody who's a good sprinter is not necessarily a good hurdler. Uh, if you're a good sprinter, you may not be a good hurdler because the gate is different. The disciplines are different. A sprinter wants to get to his, his destination as quickly as possible. So a sprinter might put their head down and, and, and rock their arms as hard as they possibly can to get to their destination. A hurdler runs differently. A hurdler runs with his head up and he runs with a different gate because he knows about every 10 yards, depending on the event, there's going to be an obstacle. And so I run with a different gate when I expect that there's an obstacle coming. Yeah, yeah, 
And I've never seen a hurdler complain that there was a hurdle because I ran with the expectation that there's going to be a hurdle at some point. I might complain if I miss the hurdle, but it's on me if I miss the hurdle because all it means is I wasn't prepared for it. Here's what I need somebody to understand. I know that you're trying to get to the destination that you've been praying for as quickly as you possibly can, but the Christian life is not a sprint. It's a hurdles race. And God needs us to catch this reality that as you run, there will be hurdles. But if you run with the expectation that a hurdle is coming, you'll run with a different gate and you'll be ready to jump when the hurdles come. I need somebody to catch this. That in this world, you will have tribulation. And the only way you'll lose the race is if you're not ready for the hurdles when they come. Look at somebody say, expect problems. Second thing, I got to hustle. Why is it taking me longer this service to do this than it took last service? The, se- the, second, the second principle I want us to catch from Job, first one was what? Okay, I'll just, ma- I'll just make sure y'all was paying attention. I'm Baptist. <laughs> the second principle is express pain. Express pain. Don't be afraid to express pain. Watch it. Let me show it to you from the text and see if we can apply it to our lives. It's in Verse 20, it says, then Job stood up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. He fell to the ground, and he worshiped. I need you to catch the, under, the, the, the importance of understanding what Job just did. He stood up, he shaved his head, he tore his clothes, and he fell to the ground. This is a natural, standard, ancient Near Eastern sign of mourning. This is a sign of grief to shave his head and to tear his clothes, to sit in those ashes is an expression of grief, of mourning. This is important, y'all. Before Job says anything, he grieves appropriately. And this is so important because if we're not careful as humans and then even worse sometimes as Christians is we like to try to pretend like what happened didn't actually hurt. And so we'll say stuff like get up, be strong, and we'll try to push through it. When in reality, as humans, we need to grieve appropriately. Somebody hurt you. Someone broke your trust. Someone impeded upon your, your body. Somebody abused you emotionally or verbally or physically or sexually. And there's, there's no way around the fact that what you went through hurts. And we got to grieve appropriately. We got to feel the pain. It's okay. to Y'all, it is not unspiritual to be emotional. It is not an expression of a lack of faith that you hurt from something that hurt you. It's okay. I'm not, my, my church, no, I'm that pastor. Uh, I, I'll, I'll only do pastoral counseling to a point. As soon as I recognize that you need, you need help that I am not trained to give you, I will recommend for you a therapist. I go to a therapist. We friends, right? I can tell y'all the truth. Y'all, y'all ain't going to look at me funny. I would recommend you to a therapist. 
And I will break the stigma, especially in the African-American community. I will break that stigma that there's something wrong with you, that you go to it. If you broke your arm, you would go to the doctor. Why wouldn't you go to a doctor if you have a broken heart? And so I believe that total health, we talk about health all the time, but total health is spiritual and physical and emotional health. And I know we always talk about spiritual health at church, and sometimes we talk about physical health at church, but man, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta implement total health into our churches and make sure that we're talking about emotional health. I believe, God believe Job was able to get to the next points in what God was trying to do in him because he was emotionally healthy enough to grieve when it was necessary to grieve. You gotta bleed. If you cut your arm, and did not bleed, it would not be an expression of your health. That would be an expression of your mishealth. There is something wrong with your circulatory system, and you need to go see somebody as quickly as you can. The same is true of your emotional self. If somebody cuts you and you never bleed, you say, no, it didn't even affect me like that. I'm good. Nah, I don't even need to talk to them because it's all good. I don't need, I don't need no apology. And, and now, and you, and you do not bleed emotionally, that's not a sign of health. That's, a, that's not a sign of strength. That's a sign of a mishealth. You need to go see somebody. We got to express our pain. Stop trying to spiritualize emotional pain. stop coming to church thinking that somebody's going to lay hands on you and pray and all your emotional pain is going to go away. Ain't enough olive oil up here. Just... Oh, I know somebody come from a churchy background up in here. I heard, I heard y'all in praise and worship. It's, it's some Pentecostal saints up in here. I know y'all in here. And y'all done brought the oil with y'all. Some of y'all. How many calls have you gotten saying, Pastor, when we going to have a healing service at Epiphany? <laughs> Sometimes we over-spiritualize it, though, don't we? Some stuff, you just need a good cry. And a doctor. And some therapy sessions. Sometimes you need to cry, yell, break something, cuss. <laughs> wrong church, wrong church. I, I, I know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Pastor B. We, you, you're going to have cussing saints next week and you're going <laughs> to blame me. All right, let me, oh, I'm sorry, I got to hustle, okay. When keeping it real goes wrong, prove Satan wrong. Satan thinks that, that, that God is only worthy of praise if he buys it from you. Satan thinks that you only praise God when things are going well. Prove him wrong, prove him wrong. Now, how we do that is we got to expect problems. We got to express pain. Last thing, real quick, uh, we got to experience God. Experience God. Watch what happens. Verse 20. Says Job stood up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell to the ground, and he, whoo, he worshipped. And here's what he said. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. 
praise the name of Yahweh. I need you to catch this. He, he, in the midst of his grief, before it was even over, he worshiped. I need somebody to catch this. It's possible to worship while you are weary. It's possible to praise while you're in pain. It's possible to glorify God even while you are in grief. I need you to understand that you don't have to hold your worship. Is there anybody in here who's willing to praise God on credit? I know as I know, it's not looking good right now, but I'm not going to let this thing fall off. I'm going to worship God because you are worthy. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall oh, magnify the Lord with me. He worshiped in the middle of his pain. How? How do you do that? His words tell us how he did it, how he was able to do it. it, was, it he, he was able first to check his perspective. He was able to check his perspective. Look what he said. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I leave this life. Do y'all see that eternal perspective he has? It's so easy when you're going through difficulty to have your mind and your eyes focused just on the difficulty. But Joe, watch this. He zooms out. And he, and he has a perspective of his birth and his death. And watch what he says. He says, I ain't had nothing when I got here. And when I leave, I won't be able to take this stuff with me anyway. And so now I see when I'm looking at my problem and just my problem, it looks so big. But when I'm looking at my problem and uh, in view of my entire life, and how God's been good to me and how he's gotten me through that what I'm going through right now, it seems so temporary because God has been good enough to give me stuff in the past. And if he's still that good, he can give me something in the future. I'm going to be all right because I have a, I have a change of perspective. But he's also able to experience God because he checked his provision. He checked his provision. Watch what he says. He says, the Lord gives. The Lord takes away, meaning what I had, I ain't get it myself in the first place. What I had, God gave it to me anyway. And so the, the explicit truth of the statement is if God gave it to me, God can take it away. The implicit truth I love is that if God gave it to me and he took it away, he can give it to me again. If God is the one who gave it to me and God's the one who take it away from me, then that means well, not only that, not only could he give me back what I lost, he could replace what I lost, give me something better than I had in the first place. I need somebody who knows what happens in chapter 42 to help me understand uh, and help me praise God that he can give me something back better than what I lost. And so I need to encourage somebody real quickly uh, who, who, who lost something. You, you lost a relationship and you loved you some him. And you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do without it. I need you to have, please understand that it's about 7 billion other people on the earth. And God knows all of them. And you will be just. Somebody lost your job. And you're like, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I, don't know. I need you to understand that if God, God was the one who gave you that job, and if God could give you that job, he can give you that one back. He can give you a promotion. He can give you something better than you had before. God gave. God, check your provision. But then he checked his posture. He checked his posture. Praise the name of Yahweh. You got a different translation. It says, blessed be 
the name of the Lord. That my posture is always going to be in the, the, the manner of blessing God. Because even if it's not well around me, it's well within me. That God is still God. And God is still good. And I'm going to bless his name anyway. And my, even though my circumstances may change, my posture will not change. Because God, of all the things that are inconsistent in my life, God is consistent. In 1873, a lawyer, a Christian lawyer by the name of Horatio Spafford, prepared to take a vacation with his wife and four daughters. He, put, he had to, some things in his practice that he had to put together before the vacation. So he sent his wife and his daughters ahead to Europe. To hand, and he stayed to handle some business. So he put his wife and his daughters on a passenger ship. And on the way, that passenger ship, it was called the Ville de Harve, was struck by an iron sailboat. Began to sink. And about 226 people on that boat died, including Spafford's four daughters. His wife survived, made it to Europe, sent a telegram back to him with two words, saved alone. Immediately packed his things up and got on a boat to go to Europe to meet his wife, his grieving wife. And as he was traveling, journeying on that passenger ship by himself, there was an announcement made when they reached the point where the Ville de Harve sunk. And they made an announcement that this is where it took place. At that point, Horatio Spafford took a pen in his quarters. And he began writing and he wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrow like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say. It is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, and though trials may come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. It may not be well with my circumstances, but it is well with my soul. That's my prayer for you, Epiphany, today and for myself as well. That even when my circumstances are not well, I can sing this song with truth. That it is well with my soul. Lord, I thank you for your word that challenges and encourages us. And I pray for someone today who's been struggling, hurting, going through difficulty. Lord, I pray that you would encourage their heart as well that even as they struggle, that it will be well with their soul. Surely, as we walk with you, we will go through difficulty. You made it so clear. But I thank you, God, that you have overcome the world by Jesus Christ. And as we have been drafted to his team, we have been drafted to the winning team. I pray for anyone here today also who's been going through the difficulties that come with life but have been going through it by themselves because they are absent of relationship with you. I pray that today somebody here would make the decision to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. 
Because one thing we all have in common is that we will all go through difficulty. What a shame it would be to go through it without the one who has overcome the world. And so, Lord, I pray that today will be a day of repentance and trust as we surrender completely to you. In Jesus' name, amen.